0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show podcast. Join me as we go delving through the archives to find out about people, places and events that happened in the past. These were stories that were big news in their day, but are largely forgotten now. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. The event i'll be talking about in this show occurred in 1935 and as always we'll be looking at what else happened during that year around the world on the 6th of february in nazi germany adolf hitler orders reinstatement of the air force the luftwaffe in violation of the 1919 treaty of versailles on march the 21st reza shah of iran asks the international community to formally adopt the name Iran to refer to the country, in place of the name Persia. On May 13th, T. E. Lawrence, also known as Lawrence of Arabia, is involved in a motorcycle accident near his home in Dorset, England, resulting in his death a few days later. On the 3rd of September, English driver Sir Malcolm Campbell becomes the first person to drive an automobile at 300 miles per hour in Bluebird, establishing a new absolute land speed record of 301.337 miles per hour or 484.955 kilometres an hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah. And lastly, on November 30th, the 1935 British-made film Scrooge, the first all-talking film version of the Charles Dickens classic Christmas Carol, opens in the US after its British release. But our event today occurred in Aldred Road, Kennington on the 10th of July 1935, when a French-Canadian boxer shot his girlfriend in a crime of passion.
1: Word of the Week
0: And this week the word I give you is Clinch poop, which the Oxford English Dictionary defines as A term of contempt for one considered wanting in gentlemanly breeding The word originated in the mid-16th century and is now obsolete But really should make a comeback Before continuing with today's tale, let me tell you more about boxing in this era. Between the wars, boxing was a way for young men to earn a bit of extra money. With the fighters often climbing through the ropes for a pittance, backstreet boxing brought a pretense of glamour to working-class Bristol. In the 1920s and 30s, pale, lean boxers, ever grateful for an extra fiver, frantically took on as many boxing bats as they could find. Medical supervision was minimal, and there was no regulations or even a thought of safety for the boxers. Little Tosh Parker once fought three times a day during the miners' strike. Some of the better fights were at venues like the prestigious Colston Hall. Others were in more modest boxing halls or transformed pub sheds. Every fight night was popular with no space in the halls, and every supporter had his favourite. Raymond Henry Bosquet was one, a French Canadian who'd come over in a cattle boat with the intention of establishing himself as a fighter. His first recorded boxing match was against Sammy Hudson, a fellow Canadian from Moose Jaw. Bosquet won the bout by knockout in the fifth. He was unbeaten in his next six matches, including a draw with Jack Reddick, who was, at the time, the Canadian light heavyweight champion. On the 14th of August 1925, he faced Harry Dillon at Regina in Saskatchewan for the vacant Canadian middleweight title. The fight went the full distance of 10 rounds and Dillon won the championship on a points decision. Even so, he came back literally fighting and quickly returned to his original form, finishing his next four contests undefeated. On the 8th of May 1926, he made his second attempt at the Canadian middleweight belt, which had become vacant again. Fought in Ottawa against Henry Henning, Bosquet won the match and the title in the second round with a technical knockout over his opponent. This took his profile up to another level, and he started competing against a better class of boxer. He also started having boxing matches outside of Canada, travelling to Philadelphia to win over experienced American Bobby Marriott. His biggest fight date came on the 16th of August, 1926, when Welsh fighter Frank Moody travelled from the US to Canada to face Bosquet. The contest went the distance with Moody victorious. Bosquet finished the year with two bouts in the US, a win over Joe Anderson, followed by a points loss to Rocky Smith. The following year, Bosquet would travel widely around the US and Canada and would continue to do so for the next four years with mixed results. At the end of 1931, he faced Ted Moore, retaking the Canadian middleweight title. It was in 1931 that Bosquet travelled to England by cattle boat to further his career. And over the next three years, he faced many of Britain's most successful middleweight boxers, including the likes of Billy Bird, Jack Casey, Gypsy Daniels and Tommy Farr. His style in the ring was all action. He was a colourful personality and his dashing looks made him especially popular with the Bristol girls. He also liked to drink. And back in Winnipeg, Canada, he had a wife and children. In 1932, out of the 22 contests, he won 18. And the following year, he won 8 out of 15. The trouble was that he had little or no defence. He took a battering in almost every contest, but invariably grinned at the crowd as he stumbled back, bruised and beaten, to an improvised dressing room. As you can imagine, the name Raymond Henry Boscott is a little too long to fit on billboards. So he's more glamorous Del Fontaine. Sadly, even his most loyal fans came to realise that his career was on the slide. And by 1934, he had lost 12 of his last 14 bouts. Those closest to him suspected that he was becoming punch drunk. And yet he was still booked to fight. And even though he was busy in the ring, he spent more and more time with a pretty 21-year-old waitress, Hilda Meek, born in Bristol's Winstanley Street. She was a one-time West End waitress with dreams of becoming a dancer. Hilda was described by her friends as flighty. The two met about two and a half years before the murder. The relationship became increasingly obsessional on his part. Yet Hilda had no wish to be tied down, especially by a moody prize fighter whose face and body were increasingly showing the bruises and effects of each bout. One day he heard her making a date with another man. The neurotic Bosquet suddenly pulled out a gun and fired. <laughs> Hilda ran out into the street where she collapsed. Her mother, Alice Meek, also ran into the street where she too was shot. Luckily, she survived but was unable to make a statement at the trial. After the shooting, Bosquet picked Hilda up and carried her back into the house, leaving the injured mother in the street. Bosquet would later tell the first responding police
1: It's all right. They both
0: deserved it. The officers took him to the nearest police station, where he admitted, I shot the girl I really cared for. She's broken
1: my heart and ruined my life. I don't care if I die. Don't think I am crazy, boys, because I'm not. She was supposed to be mine, but I heard her on the telephone making an appointment at 10 o'clock after I was out. She has ruined my life, my home, and my children. When charged... Buskett said, Yes, I did it. The letter that has been found on me explains everything. I want to tell you what happened in the house.
0: He was then cautioned, and made his statement where he said that he heard Hilda say, I'll meet you at ten o'clock. It was then that he had burst into the room and shouted, She is not going to meet you anywhere. Yes, I will. He then hung up the phone and told her, She was staying with him.
1: I said to Hilda, I will shoot you before I let you go with
0: anyone else. You would not do that! That's when he shot her. And when he shot the mother, he shouted, You deserve the same!
1: (laughs) Word on the street.
0: This week, we take a stroll to Bath Buildings in BS6, this is the site of the Grand Pleasure Gardens, built in 1746 by Thomas Renison, thread threadmaker. The original pool was over 400 feet in circumference. There was a smaller pool for ladies, and the old England tavern stood in the gardens. The place gained a reputation for debauchery and eventually closed in 1916. A part of the site was then sold to Colston's Girls' School. At the trial, Bosquet's defence contended that the boxer was suffering from acute depression and was probably punch drunk. Punch drunk syndrome, or dementia pugilistica, most often affects fighters of the slugging type who are usually poor boxers and who take considerable head punishment, with their main aim to land a knockout blow. It is also common in second-rate fighters used for training purposes may be knocked down several times a day and occurs in up to a fifth of the professional boxers. This trial shocked the West Country sporting public and, as a crime of passion, fired the nation. The defence called on welterweight champion Ted Lewis. He looked across the courtroom at the crumpled demoralised bosquette and spluttered emotionally
1: Dale shouldn't have been in the ring at all for his last fight. He wasn't in a fit state. As a boxer, he has received more punishment than anyone I have ever seen. I could not watch that fight right, though. It was terrible.
0: David Edgar, a boxing manager living in Camberwell who handled all Bosket's fights in England, gave details of a fight that had been held with Archie Sexton the previous February. He said that during the fight, Bosket had a rib damaged but fought on for another 11 three minute rounds. When asked by the defense if he thought that Bosquet was punch drunk, he replied, certainly. Letters written by Bosquet to Hilda were read out in court and they didn't help his defense. You have wrecked my life
1: and have turned me against everybody. You have turned me against the most wonderful woman in the world, that is my wife. You have ruined my life and my future in the ring. You turned me down. Through you, I got such a beating that I got discouraged. Today, you are breaking all your promises. You are breaking my heart. You are not going to break any more hearts. I am just
0: at the end now. And in another letter found in Bosquet's trunk in his home. You lied to me.
1: You may like me a bit, but you liked someone else better. You made me spend my last cent on you, and you broke and ruined my health.
0: The verdict in Boskett's trial was inevitable. Not that Hilda's distraught father helped the Boxer's case. Sam Meek of Barton Hill in Bristol was questioned about Boskett's state of mental health. When asked, do you realise that he was knocked out seven times recently, the reply was bitterly cynical, devoid of any affection. I don't know about knockouts. The last one seemed to be more like a lie down. What he was implying was that by then, Bosquet, aware that any slender hopes of progressing in the ring, had in fact disappeared, and he was prepared to take a dive. It would have been the ultimate insult to a boxer so often acclaimed by Bristol crowds for his crash bang approach. <laughs> Now one witness that was called in the trial of the Boxer Bosquette was Cecil William Slade, a van boy, who collapsed in the witness box after he had told how he saw Hilda run out of the house with blood streaming from her.
1: Mrs Meek came out. She ran over to her daughter and said, he's shot my child. She went back a few steps and then Bousquet came out and shot at Mrs Meek and she collapsed.
0: On the 16th of September in the Old Bailey in London, Busquette was sentenced to death for the murder of Hilda Meek. When the judge passed the sentence, Busquet half-smiled and bowed. By the time the date for the execution had been decided, the protests had started. They grew in volume as Busquets' friends pleaded for a reprieve. There were long lists of names on the petitions, organised on his behalf by his manager, Mr. Dare Edgar, asking for his life to be spared, how could the judiciary send a punch-drunk, deeply depressed man of unsound mind to the gallows? The National Union of Boxers even stepped in and sent a letter to the Home Secretary, begging him to advise the King to exercise his prerogative of reprieve. The Union is aware that evidence of the unsound state of mind of the convicted man was discounted at the trial at the Central Criminal Court. It would point out, however, that the evidence of medical reports was conflicting and feels that, had more evidence as to the mental condition of Bosquet been admitted, the decision of the court might have been otherwise. Back in Bristol, nothing had really changed. There were still the hoarse cheers and rooms with smoke-filled foggy atmospheres where the boxing shows went on, sluggers searching for that unattainable glory. At The Gem, that popular venue in Broadway, the fans continued to argue over the fate of the swarthy French-Canadian they had all taken to their hearts. From The Gem to The Gallows had been a short, poignant journey. News that the Home Secretary had refused to Grant Bosquet a reprieve, was broken to him in the condemned cell. Al Harding, of the well-known local boxing family of Redcliffe, had persuaded Bosquet to come to the West Country, and another brother, Percy, had been the promoter at the Gem Stadium, and the two of them cycled to London to see their friend in the condemned cell. These were two outwardly tough-looking and acting characters, yet it had been a tearful experience. Outside Wandsworth prison gates, on the morning of the execution, 29th October, 1935, religious figures led hymns. Politicians made intense anti-capital punishment speeches, and yet it made no difference. Bosket was championed by Violet van der Elst, a British entrepreneur and campaigner best remembered for her activities against the death penalty. When she arrived at the prison, She left her car and walked to the prison gates where she made an impassioned speech and there was a loudspeaker van playing hymns driving along the main road which was not allowed to approach the prison. At 9am, whilst the hanging took place, the van was playing Abide With Me. The crowd outside the prison, mostly men, numbered several hundreds just before the time of the execution. Many were carrying sandwich boards and notices protesting against capital punishment and they were ordered to move away from the prison. Among them were several former boxers and close friends of Bosquet, and as the clock struck the hour they all removed their hats and a few people knelt in the roadway in prayer. Two who appeared particularly distressed were Fred Duffet and his daughter Renee. It was their house that Bosquet had lived from the time he first arrived in England. Bosquet's manager was also in the crowd and Mrs Vander Elst chatted to him for a few moments. Afterwards, Mrs. van der Elst gathered the crowd around her and said, What has happened is you have hanged an insane man. After the hanging, the wardens whispered to visitor Harding. He was the bravest bloke we ever saw go to the scaffold. And when the notices stating the execution had taken place were posted on the door of the prison, the crowd surged forward to read them as Mrs. van der Elst drove quietly away in her car.
1: Once upon a time. Boring! It was the best of times, it was the worst. You got that right! What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host the Ever Trending Story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at evertrendingpod.
0: In the news today overheard in a street in Bristol, a man said, My girlfriend says if we don't get married soon, she's going to kill me. It's a matter of wife or death. Back 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 Back
1: Back Back in the day facts. Back in the day facts.
0: Let's start with the 25th of March 1807, when the Swansea and Mumbles Railway, then known as the Oystermouth Railway, becomes the first passenger carrying railway in the world. On the 26th of March 1948, Stephen Victor Tallarico, known professionally as Stephen Tyler, the lead singer of the Boston based rock band Aerosmith, was born. And did you know he also plays the harmonica, piano, and percussion? His nickname is the Demon of Screaming, due to his high screams and his powerful wide vocal range. On the 27th of March in 1915, Typhoid Mary, real name Mary Mallon, the first healthy carrier of the disease ever identified in the United States, is put in quarantine for the second time, where she would remain for the rest of her life. She died aged 69 on 11th of November 1938. On the 28th of March, in the year 193, after assassinating the Roman Emperor Pertinax, his Praetorian guards auction off the throne to Didius Julianus. Those sort of shenanigans would never happen today. On the 29th of March, 1871, the Royal Albert Hall is opened by Queen Victoria. Also on the 29th of March, but in 1973, the last United States combat soldiers leave South Vietnam in the Vietnam War. On the 30th of March, 1944, out of 795 Lancasters, Halifaxes, and Mosquitoes sent to attack Nuremberg, 95 bombers do not return, making it the largest RAF Bomber Command lost of the war. And lastly, on the 31st of March, 1918, massacre of ethnic Azerbaijans is committed by Allied armed groups of Armenian Revolutionary Federation and Bolsheviks. Nearly 12,000 Azerbaijan Muslims are killed. Well, I'm afraid that's it for me for this week, but don't worry because I'll be here, same time, same place, next week. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the people who really brought today's story to life and this week they are Molly Jeffries, Sam Roberts and Joe Wilson from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio and Garrett from the ever-trending story podcast. Thank you one and all. I'd also like to offer a huge congratulations to Russ from the Infectious Screw podcast on his recent wedding. It looks like you had a fantastic day and you both look just so cute and good together. Congratulations. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about the show is regularly released on mondays so until next time guys take care and look after each other